Thank you so much. Well, it's great to see everyone this morning. It's great that we can once again have a coffee time after the service today. And uh, I am, this month, our, our topic that we're talking on is um, living with limits. And, uh, you know, it's been quite a season of having limits imposed upon us. And, you know, having to realize that, uh, you know, sometimes the, just the stuff we want to do, we can't do. And there's, there's things that get in the way of that. And I don't know about you, I don't like limits. You know? And we live in a society that actually teaches people to kick against limits all the time. And there can be a healthy aspect of that. But there's also a healthy aspect of recognizing that we are limited, that all things we want to do are not possible, and we can't uh, do everything and achieve everything and go everywhere and experience everything that this world has to offer. But, you know, despite that, we can live incredibly full lives in Christ. And we live incredibly full lives, not necessarily always lusting after or going after what we don't have, but being able to embrace and enjoy that which we do. And a foundational scripture for me for today is 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11. And it's just a part of it, but it's where Paul says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And I'll, I'll read more on that in... Uh, I'll read more of that scripture in a little bit. Let that just, just soak in for a second. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You know, I, I, uh, if, you were, if you're under 40, uh, particularly if you're between 30 and 40, and you grew up in the school system here in Canada, you experienced a time in our education system where, you know, tests... It was basically impossible to fail. You know, people were just promoted grade to grade regardless of how well they did. I remember the particular point in time when some of the young people I was working with, I mean, literally didn't matter if they didn't hand in any of their assignments as long as they handed them in sometime before the end of the school year. There were literally no boundaries because the, the, the underlying philosophy of the education system at that point in time is that, you know, you don't want to make anybody feel bad. You don't want anyone to feel bad. And I remember working with a, a bunch of young people when we first started LifeHouse that were growing up in this system and were coming into their 20s or late, their late teens and early 20s out of the, the, the public education system. And they hit college and university and were shocked. They were shocked. Because suddenly limits were imposed on them. Suddenly they didn't have multiple opportunities to rewrite their tests. They didn't have, you know, if they, if they didn't get their assignment in on time, they got a zero. And then they hit the workforce and were shocked that they weren't immediately promoted to CEO. Right? Well, what do you mean? I'm not like, I, I have to take the, the entry-level position. And I'm being very general, but this was actually incredibly difficult for a number of, of people because they were taught that they could just do anything they wanted to, regardless of how much effort they put in, that they could achieve anything they wanted to, but there was no correlation between effort 
and reward for them. Now, fortunately, I believe the system has changed somewhat since then. Those that have kids in the system right now would be, know that better than, than I would. But this, there's this real thing in this world of limits. You know? And there, there are, we are limited in many different ways. Right? We're limited sometimes based on just a, a level of our, our cognitive ability or physical ability. We're limited by the family that we're born into. We're limited by the country that we're born into. We're limited by the culture that we're born into. Each one of these things imposes different boundaries and limits on us. If you're born, I was, I was talking about being in Cuba last week. If you're born in Cuba, there's incredible limits that are on your life imposed externally by the government and political systems that are there. There are certain things that are you have you don't have to worry about. You don't have to worry about paying bills. You don't have to worry about paying for your home or things along those lines because all those things are provided to you by your government. But you aren't able to leave and you're not able to make any more, you know, there's a very small gap between, between the amount of money you're allowed to make and there's all ki- limits on travel, limits on all kinds of different things that are, that are there in that culture and in that society. And, and for us, you know, again, we live in the GTA. A house, if we lived across, if we lived about two hours away in Buffalo, the house we could buy for our dollar is going to be completely different than the house you can buy in the GTA. We're limited by the economic system that we find ourselves in. We're, there's, there's so many different things where we're limited. And that's, that can be very difficult for us to accept. And there's some limits that we are just meant to accept, and some limits we're meant to break through. And to, to know the difference takes discernment from God. Jesus himself was limited. He chose to come and take on the God. He, Jesus, Jesus, fully God, yet fully man, chose to limit himself. You know, being born as a ch- baby, being born with all the limitations of the flesh, you know, and being born in human form and likeness. And so he limited himself physically to come and live amongst us, but he also limited himself in mission. That Jesus understood that he was about his father's business. That it wasn't about his way, what he wanted, how to do the things he needed to know, what his father wanted him to do, and to do that even to the point you know, that we see in the you know we see at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry his limits being tested by the enemy right so let's let's look at some scripture on this so we're going to go to Matthew 4 verse 1 to 11 I apologize it won't be up on the screen because I didn't get it quickly enough I didn't get it to the 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 team this morning but Matthew 4 starting in verse 1 it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, he was Jesus. He could tell those stones to become bread, no problem. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
So then the devil tried again. He took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, and so you will not strike your foot against a stone. The devil using scripture to try to, using scripture itself to try to get Jesus to do something. And Jesus said, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. One last temptation that the devil tries with him. He says, now and the devil takes him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. That's very interesting here. There's three very key temptations, right? He's hungry. Hey, just take it upon yourself. Use, do, do what you want to satisfy that hunger. No. You know what? I trust my father. I trust his plan. Then he's like, hey, you can do this supernatural thing, Jesus. If you jump off this, if you jump off this building, then God's just going to catch you. You know, you can just jump off this thing. You'll be totally fine. And uh, he said, hey, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And the last one, which there's something really important here in this last one. I want to read this part again. It says, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. But Jesus didn't go, those don't belong to you. The devil claimed, hey, all the splendor of this, it belongs to me and I can give it to you. We better remember something about this world and all its temptations. It is still in the hands of the enemy. The prince of this world, according to Scripture, is still Satan. We are in this world, but not of it. The very things that this, of this world that come to tempt us are not of God. They are of, they belong to the evil one. The splendor, the temptations of this world, the riches that it offers us, the things that it goes, hey, these are really important. The one behind those is not God. It is the evil one. And it's so important we know the difference. Jesus did. It's like, hey. Jesus responded, away from me, Satan. For it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And for us, for us, we live because we're in this world, but not of this world, under this constant pressure to conform to the way the enemy wants us to live at the expense of what God has for us. So we live under a constant pressure to conform to the way the enemy wants us to live at the expense of what God actually has for us. But it takes relationship with Him. It takes discernment to know 
the difference. Matthew 6, verse 19, just on, on this theme, Jesus says, um, he's, he's talking to his disciples. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. He's not just his disciples, he's talking to quite a large group of people. And he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Then he says this other thing. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the darkness, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And finishes by saying, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And that thing about, it's not that he got confused and started talking about I and then came back to his main point, right? What we look at, what we, what we put our vision on, where we, where we think, what we think is most important, that's either going to fill us with light or it's going to fill us with dark. Right? What we see as the, where, where, what we're seeing as what the most important thing, right? It's what fills our mind. It's what fills our dreams. It's what fills our purpose in life. And if we get that wrong, then we are not going to live in the things, the very things that God has for each and every one of us. We're not going to live the, the, the abundant life that God has, but that abundant life that God has is often very different than the one the enemy tells you you're supposed to have. And if the enemy is going to come and tempt Jesus, don't think he's not coming to tempt you. Right? And we actually live in a society, it's very interesting, right? When the, when the, the television, actually first the radio and then the television, you know, were created, there was huge uproar. It's like, oh my goodness, we're going to beam the enemy right into people's homes, whether it was through the radio waves of the, of the radio when that happened and when TVs, oh my goodness, people freaked out. Same with the internet. But there's real truth in that. At the end of the day, we're exposed to so much advertising. We're exposed to so much information. Our worldview is constantly being shaped by what we watch, by what we listen to. We're constantly having all these things we passively take in. Right? We passively take in music. We passively take in advertising. We passively take in TV quite often. You know, taking things from the internet. And all these things are constantly shaping us. If our kids are in the public school system, they are passively and actively taking in a worldview that's being put into them that is not God's worldview. Not again saying it's wrong, but we've got to recognize what's happening. Because sometimes what we do is we assume that one hour of church on Sunday is going to undo the, the um, you know, 20, 30, 40 hours of, of Satan's worldview that gets put into us throughout the week. And then we wonder why we live such confused lives. It's, it's where things that we've been talking about, like silence and solitude, being with Jesus is important because we live in a place where we have to constantly counter the message from Satan that's in our lives. We constantly have to. 
You know, we should not be foolish enough to believe that that stuff can't affect us because if advertisers are willing to pay multiple millions of dollars for 30 seconds for a Super Bowl ad, they know and have done their research that in 30 seconds they can influence you. They can influence you. So imagine what they do through a television program that you watch for 30 minutes or an hour or what they do through music you repetitively listen to or what they do through all the different mediums that we have. You know, it's it's very been very interesting to me. Again, sensitive to it because I just came back from a communist country where everything was controlled. But when I came back, I was surprised at how the mainstream media was framing some different things going on in our country at this moment in time and how one picture was being presented, but it was not the true picture. It was only a little piece. But this is something that happens to us all the time. And we're constantly being bombarded by these different things. John McComer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he says this, Jesus wisely said our hearts will follow behind our treasures. Usually we interpret treasure to mean our two basic resources, time and money. But an even more precious resource is attention. Without it, our spiritual lives are stillborn in the womb. Because attention leads to awareness. All the contemplatives agree. The mystics point out that what's missing is awareness. Meaning, in the chronic problem of human beings' felt existence of distance from God, God isn't usually the culprit. God is omnipresent. There is no place God is not. And no time he isn't present either. Our awareness of God is the problem and it's acute. Because what you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal of the soul and what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you've given your attention to. Your life is no more than the sum of what you've given your attention to. The eyes. Unless we're blind. right? If our eyes work, they are directing our attention. Our ears. They are directing our attention. Constantly. Constantly. These are real practical things of how we live our lives and what our goals are and how we live in this world but not of this world. Wayne Mueller, in his book on the Sabbath, he says that a successful life has become a violent enterprise. We make war on our bodies pushing them beyond their limits, war on our children because we cannot find enough time to be with them when they are hurt and afraid and in need of our company, war on our spirit because we are too preoccupied to listen to the quiet voices that seek to nourish and refresh us, war on our communities 
because we are fearfully protecting what we have and do not feel safe enough to be kind and generous. War on the earth because we cannot take time to place our feet on the ground and allow it to feed us, to taste its blessings and give thanks. You know, this, this thing of success, when I, when I first started, well, I've just, I've just been driven since I was a kid. It's just part of my personality. You know, and I'm not a not a God-given part of my personality. A, you know, probably broken part of my personality. So often those, you know, I was I was the kid in school that would get all the different awards for, I mean, everything from like Christian, you know, behavior to, to like, uh, like volunteering, all these different things. We had, uh, I guess it was the Canadian's 125th birthday when I was just in my early, just in my university years. And I remember, I, you know, there's a bunch of us that got this award, the Canada 125 Award, and it's for volunteer work. And they read off all the different things that I was doing. Like, when they gave me this award, they read off all these different things. I remember, like, people like, how the heck does he do that? And I remember listening to all of them going, how do I do that? But I did it by being stressed out, unhappy, miserable, trying to prove my value and my worth by all the things that I did. It wasn't, you know, we reward all the wrong things in our society. You know, we reward the people. You know, we look up to the people. Like, you know, like, oh man, and and you know, it's, it's work in progress with our kids. My my son Seth was asked the you know, around Christmas time by someone, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he's like, I want to be a billionaire. You know, and you know, and he and his and his young friends, they'll talk about the Jeff Bezos and the Elon Musk and these different different people, right? Like, because we they're 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 aware. They're nine, but they're aware of them. Right? They're aware of them. They're aware, oh, these people have lots of money. These people are successful. These people, they have all these different things. Oh, I need to have a Tesla. You know, like they're, like these are the types of conversations, right, that, that end up happening. You know, and they're, these are ingrained in our, in our culture. It's very interesting because, anyway, that would be an aside. I won't do that. But, um, you know, but that's what we do. We look up to. We look up to the Steve Jobs or the Richard Branson or the whatever. You know, you name these different business leaders or you have, you have different names of people you look up to. But we don't go, what's the cost of them getting to that place? Right? What's the actual cost? You know, because some of these, these people were hated often by their families. They totally messed up. You mean, you look at all these very successful people, and most of them are divorced. Most of them have broken relationships with their children. Most of them, you know, ha- are known for their abusive people. We don't look at the fact that for them to make the profits that they do, what they do to their workers, what they put those people through, and all these different things. We just look at the end product and go, man, that's really cool, and they've got lots of money. And we as a society look up to them. You know, we think that that's something we should emulate. We buy their biographies. We buy the things. Okay, how do I learn to become like these people? That's what we're, we're taught. We're programmed that this is, this is what we should do. And often in the church, that it's not countered. That like, hey, maybe we need to look at why. You know, is this, is this of God? And the answer, of course, is no. It's not course it's not and uh but we still think that that's the thing we have this niggling thing that our life would be so much better if we had the stuff that they had you know if we had these different things it would be so much better i someone that i knew 
Um, years ago, they were in the church. They'd, they'd given their life to Christ in, in their adult years. But they worked for like a, a big investment company downtown. I don't know which one. It doesn't really matter. And they would motivate their employees by, by, you know, this person had a cottage. They had a few different things. And they would motivate their employees by bringing them to their cottage and going, oh, you don't have a cottage? Well, you know, you, you, should, you should get one. You really should. If you just worked a little bit harder, I'm sure you could earn enough to get, to get a cottage. Or, or, or take them on their boat. Oh, yeah. Oh, you don't, you don't have a boat? Well, listen, if you just work a little bit harder, then you can have this boat. And, and that's what advertising is all about, right? To get us to buy a bunch of stuff that we don't need. Or make us feel like what we have is not good enough and we should have more. The main thing was, this guy made his money by his employees working harder. Because he was paid on commission. So the more his employees worked, the more he made. So the more they worked hard to try to get that cottage or the boat, the more money and more things he's the one, he got. And so he just would dangle the little things in front of them to get them to work harder. This was in his pre-Christian years. And as a Christian, you'd say it was awful. It was terrible because these people would work harder and harder. They'd forsake their families. They would forsake their kids trying to get the next thing. And sometimes in our families, this is the very thing we, we promote, or maybe that's happened in our thing, where our parents are promoted to us that the important thing is success. You know, and the definition of success is that good job, that good paycheck, that what, whatever it may be. And yet, I am not advocating laziness. I'm not saying we should all sit back and do nothing. Oh, we'll get to that scripture in a moment. But it, it's this thing of going hey, we're limited. And we're in this world, but not of this world. And yes, we're bringing eternity into this world right now, but we're living for something so much more. Like Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, right? Don't store your treasures here. Store them in heaven. Don't don't live for treasure here. Live for treasure in heaven. And we that's so important it's so important so we get to 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 9 and here Paul says now about your love for one another we do not need to write you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other and in fact you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do more, do that more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as you were told, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so you will not be dependent on anyone. And uh, things are really interesting about that culture. You know, and N.T. Wright, in his commentary on, on uh, 1 Thessalonians, he talks about the fact that, you know, like we saw, see modeled in the book of Acts with the early church, like in Jerusalem, when the first group of Christians came together, people were selling property, they were doing all these different things, they were living collectively. They were, they were doing that so that, because they saw themselves as one big family. And so they saw themselves as their job is to take care of one another. Now, this is a completely foreign concept for us in the Western church. I'm not saying we're going to like, you know, this is what we should do tomorrow. 
I'm saying it's something we need to pay attention to from Scripture. Because the Thessalonian church, it was the same for them. They understood that they were, they were living as a family. You know? And so the concern Paul had is that was what was going on is some people were using that to their, going, oh, well, so-and-so is going to work hard, so I'm not going to need to work. Right? They're going to work and thing. He's going, hey, do not be lazy. Do not be busybodies. Work with your hands. And, and he saw this, he said this over and over to them. We see it in 1 Thessalonians. We see it in 2 Thessalonians. But his thing wasn't, hey, guys, be ambitious. Go take over the world. Say, like, hey, live a quiet life. You know, work with your hands. Make sure in other scriptures, he's like, hey, make sure you're working so you've got stuff to take care of your own family and to be able to take care of the needs of others if emergencies arrive, arise. There's this, this wonderful thing about people. They were taking care of each other. They saw this family need, this thing. that They weren't working for their accumulation of stuff. It wasn't about how much they could have. It wasn't about how much more they could get. It was, let's make sure our needs are met and that we're taking care of the needs of others. It's a wonderful thing I saw in Cuba when I was there. It's the very way they would live. If someone had something and someone needed something, they would find ways to help each other out. They would find ways with their limited, because of their limitations, because of the limited resources they had, they, they shared easily amongst one another. They shared easily. The kingdom that Satan makes is not one of sharing easily. It's one that puts who's on top and how can they get the most at the expense of those at the bottom. With respect, our investing system is evil. It's evil, right? Because our entire system is built on ultimately the people at the bottom working really, really hard and the people at top getting money for doing nothing. Most of our system, all of our economic systems are evil. Again, we're in this world and not of it. I'm not suggesting you should not participate in the economic system. You'd have to literally disappear off the, you know, we, there's a day we won't, and that'll be when there's a new heaven and new earth. But let's remember that it's evil. It's evil. That it's not, you know, it's too often that we're Christians are like, oh, well, those per- people deserve. You know, they deserve, you know, because they just haven't worked hard enough or they haven't done this. If they just had done better, then they wouldn't be in their position that they're in. Without us recognizing, there's lots of people with limits in our society. I know in talking to people here that have come, starting some people from Nigeria, man, probably a year ago now, we're having a conversation from uh, in Nigeria and some other countries in Africa. They're saying one of the amazing things about here in Canada is that if someone goes and, and becomes a, uh, a, you know, a plumber or a construction worker or tradesperson, that they can, they can make a living doing that. Because that if you were in Nigeria, you would not make a living doing that. You'd be super poor by choosing one of those types of professions. That's a really cool, good thing about our society. Right now in the GTA, our society is ridiculously unequal. You know, if you are someone that's working, you know, there's, there's so many jobs that if you're working in, you can't even afford to rent a room. You know, there's something seriously wrong with that system. And we need to see that. Because you know, those are the things that we go like, yeah, man, that is really evil. That is really wrong. As opposed to getting caught up by the enemy in it. 
all this to say limits. We all have them. We all have limits. And let's not be afraid of those limits. Let's not try to break through those limits at the expense of our families, at the expense of our children, at the expense of our spouses, at the expense of our souls. These practices that we've been talking about, we're going to continue to talk about things like silence and solitude, taking a day of rest, a Sabbath day, same as God did. You know, the the um, you know, reading, spending time with God in Scripture, in reading and prayer. These are the things that actually count and matter in our lives. But they're the very things that we don't do as we try to go after the things of this world. And so for each one of this will be different. I'm not trying to impose a rule system on us. It's a, in any way, shape, or form. It's us going, hey, let's recognize limits. Let's recognize limits as Jesus recognized limits. Let's, let's be okay that some exist. And let's be okay that there's some things we should break through. You know, there are some things that we, there are times when it's like, okay, I just need to, I do need to work a little bit harder to break through this limit. I need to pray harder to break through this limit. You know, we're going to talk over this month about what some of those different things are. And uh, I, I've learned during the pandemic the joy of embracing limits. The joy of embracing limits. I can tell you, and I'll wrap up with this, you know, through most for the first half of my adult life, I really struggled to be okay with limits and was constantly always pushing them and making myself work harder. It was not uncommon for me to work 60 to 80 hours a week. But the expense of that, it's a good Sunday talk about because my kids are all, Joel's helping out in kids' ministry, is that at four and a half, Joel's saying to my wife, well, you love me, but dad doesn't. And, and her go, well, why do you say that? Dad loves you. Well, yeah, he loves me, but you love me a whole lot more. Why? Because I could go days and not talk to my son. Because I was so caught up in what I was doing, I was so focused on, on the goals, so focused on building the church, so focused on the things that I thought were important that I was missing the very thing that was most important. And it took a long time for me to make those adjustments because those were patterns I'd put in my life from a child. But we all need to recognize our limits and recognize that not all, you know, for God, all things are possible and we are not God. <laughs> we are not Him, you know. But we have the privilege of walking alongside Him. We have the privilege of, of living the life that he's given us to live and growing and becoming everything we're meant to in him. But in order to do that, we've got to do it his way, not the way the world says it should be done. Amen? Wonderful. Well, thank you. I know next week we'll have Sean sharing, and then the week after that, it's a really great week to be here. We have um, good friends of ours, Kate and Dan, uh, Dan and Kate Page, from Halifax that'll be here and be ministering that weekend. And um, Steve and Melissa Everett and their church in Oakville, Oak City Church, when they planted literally in the middle of the pandemic, 
they'll be joining us that Sunday as well. So it'll be a great Sunday for us to be celebrating together and just receiving from, from someone from another part of the country. So have a great week. Adam. Thank you so much, James. For one of, one of the things that I'm particularly aware of this year is something that we were talking about before, which is being overdoing. Uh, being with God over our doing for God. And I really, I really like what you said, James, like, because embracing our limits really kind of forces us to stop. And I could sometimes... It's just like, oh, let me just finish this. Oh, then I just got to finish this. And then, I, and then I've got to do this. And I got to, but like, just to remember to be being, to say, actually, I'm a limited person. And now I just need to stop. Even though I'm not quite done with those things that I'm thinking about, it's, it's important to, to stop. Um, one verse that stuck out for me as well was uh, a verse in, uh, in Matthew chapter 12 where it says, A good man brings forth good out of the good stored up in him. Whereas an evil man brings forth evil out of the evil stored up in him. So we want to be making sure that we're putting good inside of us so that we can have goodness coming out of us. So thank you, James. Those are my takeaways that I learned from you this morning. Um, thank you for being with us this morning. Again, for our new people, you are so great. We love having you here. If you're coming to the Newcomers Lunch... Uh, that's going to be amazing. You're, um, thank you for coming. We look forward to that. For anyone that is not coming to the Newcomers Lunch, um, in the spirit of taking care of one another, as James was saying, we do have cookies and coffee after the service. I'm not saying it's the reason they come to church, but it helps. Um, so please stick around. Um, this is it's the end of the formal part of church, but... As I said, we're a community of people that love each other, so please don't feel the need to rush off. Please do stay in the atrium because we're aware that we're sharing the cinema with other people. So stick around in here or in the corridors behind. Grab a coffee. Meet someone new. Uh, get your kids if you have kids. Um, but, yeah, please don't rush off. It's great to stick around. Um, we love you guys. Thank you so much for coming out. Um, have a blessed week. Goodbye for now. Thank you.